Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about dynamic worlds and NPCs. Today we're talking to James Kidd. How's it going, James? Hey guys, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Uh, so James, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, how long you've been playing tabletop games and that sort of thing. Uh, well, like I said, when uh, when I first sat down, I've been getting a little bit of imposter syndrome lately, just because I've only been playing tabletop games for about four years, uh, but I've been role-playing for... Probably about 12 years. Uh, Yahoo Chats was a big, big game of mine when I was a kid. So that eventually, after a couple of years of trying to be cool, uh, found its way into D&D. I started playing on like a forum roleplay game. I think one of the people I was in high school with sent up. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ours was Gundam Wing themes. So oh, nice. Extra nerd points there, I think. So when you talk about dynamic worlds, dyna- dynamic NPCs, what exactly do you mean? What are you trying to get at? What I'm trying to get at is a world that changes based on the player's interaction with it, as well as changes outside of the player's interaction. So it could be something as simple as weather, weather patterns, or the NPCs changing their location because somebody went shopping one day, or maybe they interact with the players a little bit differently based on the rumor mill, something they've heard that the players have done, uh, that kind of thing. Like if you've gone out and killed a dragon and you come back to my town, I'm going to be a little bit more um, deferent to you. You're, you're going to have a higher stake in my mind. You're going to be of a higher status. So it can be something as outward as that, or it could be something as simple as, it's raining today. It is raining today. It is Vancouver rain today. And it's just, you know, three weeks later, it is still raining. What does that mean for the southern lowlands of the country? What does that mean for the northern? What does that mean for crop yields in four or five months? So tracking time is a big part of that for me. Weather is, I think, one of those things that people forget about all the time. I know I forget about it all the time, but it also makes sense, like, you know, maybe the shopkeeper has a bad leg and it aches when it's raining or when it's, like, damp out, and they're miserable because of it, so they're maybe less nice to the or the PCs. And, like, thinking about that stuff is really interesting, but I think, I do think a lot of people forget to do it. Well, I also think just in terms of, you know, whatever it is your players are trying to do, changing up the weather can be... If you're trying to make things a little bit more difficult, like if they're trying to track down some thieves across, you know, or through a forest, for example, it's going to be harder if it's raining than if it's been sunny for the last few weeks, or if it's snowing, or if it's, or if they're trying to, you know, track them across a desert, like there's a sandstorm and now they don't know where they are anymore. Like, I like that idea of using, like, when you, as soon as you said weather, I was like, oh yeah, that thing that everybody has to deal with that, you know, Sometimes in, like, think of, like, video games. Like, sometimes weather will have an impact, but it's usually just a, a visual thing. Like, if you're playing through a quest, there's usually no difference on how it plays out if it's raining or snowing. But yeah. in an RPG, like, if you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, and, you know, if it's rainy, then people... There's not going to be as many people on the street, so maybe those... the You know, that gang is going to use this as an opportunity to ambush them because there's less people around to see what's happening, or... Yeah, I all of a sudden my mind is just like there's so many opportunities now. Yeah, I, I love that. Like really taking advantage. I, I try and use weather as a plot device when I can, but not so often that it gets tired. So the way I track weather is I, I have a, a broken down calendar and I, I mark what happens each day based on players, as well as a couple of other things that have happened, whether or not they're there. Like if they're really big interacting with one of the shopkeepers or an innkeeper or something like that. If that's become a primary NPC, what is that NPC doing that day? Oh, they're buying bread. They're out getting fish. I'm using Innkeeper as an example because it's really close to my heart. <laughs> Something that I've got a lot of experience doing. And tracking weather is, is a fun thing because I don't do it 
uh, with any real forethought. I have a chart based on, and then I just roll a d100 every day. And that d100, 50 of it is sunny because that tends to be what you want it to be, but you know, the next 50 are in five or 10 or one increments. If it's a crit fail, like why is it hailing in the middle of you know, flame room, which is one of my summer months? And okay, now I have to figure out why it's hailing mid-session. That's a lot of fun for me. Uh, weather is also great because, and I think people tend to forget this, it's baked mechanically into some of the player races as canning benefits. Uh, it's what elves, right? They get advantage to stealth or something like that, or they can hide in a obscuring rain. And like it's a little thing that I think doesn't really get thought of a lot, um, and thus you know doesn't come up. And the player, the player who's made that choice, doesn't necessarily get that advantage that they should be getting. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and anytime it's aggressively overcast, it's no longer bright light. So we can have the drows coming out to play. We can have things from the underdark who have issues in, in bright sunlight. Like if it's a heavy rain with dark vision or dim light vision, you're good. Everything's everything's okay. Yeah. And it's also something that. Like I like I try to be descriptive when I'm when I'm running a session, and I think weather is such an easy way to set the scene. Like, you know, if you're if you're traveling to the city that's known for being full of thieves and like it's a uh, hive of scum and villainy. I was trying to remember the the words there, but you know, coming to it, you know, and it's nice and sunny and bright out and everything is happy and fun is way different than it's there's mist and it's just a drizzling rain that just gets your spirits down like helping to set the like using the environment to help set the scene is i think powerful because everybody knows well i mean somebody who's never seen snow might not know how to react to it but it at least here in Vancouver, everybody kind of knows what it feels like when it's been raining for four or five weeks. Yeah, and more than that, um, I, I do a lot of distance hikes in my off time. I've, I've done the North Coast Trail. My partner and I are doing the West Coast Trail this summer. I don't it's know if you've ever walked really great. six days with a backpack in the rain, but it's 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 hellish. Like, I, can I swear on this? Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> fucking go for it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I, I got really lucky when I did the West Coast Trail and it was sunny. Um, but there were still, because it's the West Coast Trail, like I'm just thinking about how this can impact your game. Like, you know, if it's been rainy, there's going to be like, um, like on the West Coast Trail, there were places where we had to put on waders because there was just mud that came up to your knees, even though it had been sunny. It's just that's what the terrain is like. And, I, yeah. and if you don't have waders, you're just walking around in leather pants and all your stuff is soaked. You are miserable. Like, you're not going out to fight the next day. You're not going to go chase down that band of orcs. You're going to sit in the end by the fire. I don't care how much the bounty is on them. <laughs> Anything can wait till tomorrow when you're wet and tired. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, like, that's, that image of just, like, you've been trudging through the wilderness for a week or two weeks eating stale bread and hardtack. If you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky. And it's just been raining the entire time, and you finally get to an inn like not even really civilization but at least it's dry and it's warm like yeah you're the players aren't going to want to do anything like if you've described this situation they're they're going to feel it and be like yeah my character's just going to sit by the fire for a while speaking of inns you mentioned an innkeeper earlier <laughs> um and uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about is breathing life into npcs so what are some things you do to do that uh so there, there are a couple of things. Like I said, uh, there's a rumor mill in all my, my towns and, and hearing what the players have done, whether it be through the local city watch or just uh, the players interacting in the inn at the end of the day. Everybody has an ale. You start boasting, telling stories. There's normally a bard in the party or a bard around. And that starts to not only change the people in the room, but if a bard hears your story and it's a cool story, the people in the next town are going to hear something about that and something about that. So normally by like level five, my PCs are fairly locally famous. And I think that's a really big deal. That's like, it would be some like, um, uh, I can't, I can't even think of anybody locally famous. I should, I should have done my homework, but, uh, I mean, I'm blanking too. I, yeah, mean, the, I mean, the only answer I have is Biff naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you see somebody on the fringes of the pop culture on, on, in our, our neighborhood, it's like, Oh my God, it's you. Like, I know who you are, but you can still walk down the streets nice and easy. Like Mark, Mark Bernard, and he's not a local guy, but like if I see him walking down the streets, I'm going to nerd out. If 
or anybody else sees him walking down the streets are going to be like, oh, that's just a guy. And I, I think that that's cool. So like people from higher up in the Baronies may not have heard of them. People of a higher birth may not have heard of the PCs. But, you know, people rolling around in the tavern, swilling ale at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, depending on what inn and where it's located. Like, you, you know, you've, you've heard of the Bard. You've heard of the, the Knights of the Eats. You've heard how they cleared out the town prior. And it may not be right information, which I think is a lot of an interesting mechanic to play with. Like, it's not always right information you know it gives the players an opportunity to experiment with their alignment that way um if if they choose to i, I had a bard in my last party who really loved playing it up and <laughs> he was world famous by the end of it um, but stuff like that i think is is a lot of fun uh just not having npcs in the same place i think is a really easy way to create life like okay you've, you've met the cleric a few times she's always been in the church so you know when you go to the church you're going to find her well, why would she always be in the church? Maybe she's out at the Chandler's buying candles or at the Boulanger buying uh, bread or what, what have you. Like people do things. Or just out helping to serve the poor or something. Like, also a great example for a cleric. <laughs> I, yeah, I think the idea of, because I think it's one of those things that I haven't really thought of very much, but one of the things that I do try to do is make sure that the game doesn't feel like you're playing a computer RPG. Because like, if you're playing a computer game, at least almost anything set, like anything, I think more recent games tend to get a little bit more lifelike in this regard sometimes, but still, most of the time, like there are games, like I think The Witcher 3 did this, where if you go to a, a shop at night, they're probably not going to be there, they're probably going to be asleep, but if you come there during the day, they'll be there. But having a a, a critical NPC, like, you know, the, the party needs to get healed up because something's coming and they need to be ready for it but the cleric is out doing something it it can become just like a fun little thing of just like we've got to find the cleric oh my god and the first time your players encounter that they're gonna panic like we we need heals we need heals bad where where's the cleric and you're just like well, i don't know it's your, your job to find the cleric like where and then you know you find them at the, the inn buying you know fish for the day and you're just like i'm I'm sorry, I have a life outside of you for it. Like you, you, you don't revolve around the world. It, it reminds me of uh, like some TV shows that I watch, where especially ones that have have gone past like five or six seasons. Occasionally, they'll have an episode about a side character that you haven't seen very much, and that can be maybe not like in a high pressure situation, like oh my god, the army is coming and we need to get heals so we can be ready. But you know, they've come back from a successful dungeon crawl and. They want to sell their stuff, but they have to find the the caravan merchant. And they're like, you know, following him through town. Like, they go to the inn. The innkeeper said he went over there. This person said he went over there. Like, yeah. it can be a fun way to introduce your players to more of the setting. Yeah, and that's a, that's a neat little fetch quest all in itself. It's like, okay, what did he pick up that he's moving around town? Is there anything cool there? Like, can I trade my diamonds for a plus one magic sword? No. Of course you can't. Like, he's, he's a wagoneer traveling from general store to general store. Like, he's not going to have that. But, you know, if you give him an extra diamond, he might pick one up for you the next time he's in the town and then bring it back. And I think stuff like that is really cool. And, and bringing it back to TV shows, like you said earlier, uh, one of the things I do is for more prominent NPCs or even less prominent that become more prominent, I tend to cast as actors in specific roles. So, like, the sheriff in my town is Jude Law in uh, uh, Captain Marvel. It's like, okay, it's an older Jude Law. He's kind of shitty, but still really charming and handsome. And it's like, okay, I, I can picture that that deputy, you know? That's, I think that's one of the, I think we've talked about that a little bit before on a previous episode. But like, yeah, yeah the, the idea of using, or I might have just read it online somewhere, but the idea of casting your NPCs so that you know what they look like, what they talk like, how they move. So the thing that's interesting to me about this is I've definitely thought about casting my NPCs before and I have done it, but I've only cast for like uh, aesthetic and never for mannerisms because it never occurred to me to do that. Mannerisms <laughs> so, cadence even is, yeah. is a great one. Um, to one of my, I play Pathfinder once a week and my summoner in Pathfinder is a Kenku who's booed. Tim Roth did the mocap for, and you know he's got a really interesting cadence, right? And and whenever he's talking, he he is moving his hands a little bit back and forth from his head. And you, I, I'm not trying to think like Tim Roth in um, in uh, Pulp Fiction, but later Tim Roth like like lie to me, 
And then, such a good show. Right? It's it's such an underrated show, but you watch that enough, you can see him really dial in on techniques and your posture starts to change and your thought process starts to change. And that's how I really get into my, my lazy stamina. But, you know, when, when you're dealing with Jude Law, he's a little more straight up, he's less hand movements, he's a little more straightforward. There's a lot of exaggerated motions. Explain to me again why you did that. Like, re really, you, in the, in the middle of the town, you decided to get into a fight with one of the mercenary companies. And I, I'm not advocating character voices to everyone, it's not for everyone, but it, it really helps me, and it, I, I find it helps, especially when I don't have pawns on the table, though, for NPCs or anything like that. Yeah, I think cadence is the big thing to look at in that, too, because, like, you don't necessarily have to do a voice, but picking up a speech pattern that's not just your speech pattern is or even pitching higher or lower like that, yeah. it makes all the difference in the world yeah. i think for people who are trying because i think it's one of the things that i see the most online is people like how do i make my npcs more interesting and memorable and i think it's kind of a side effect of critical role becoming so popular is it's kind of a downside of a bunch of voice actors becoming famous for playing D D is everybody thinks oh it's all in the voices it's like no if you watch those people when they're when they're playing most of it like some of it is the voice but a lot of it is just like how they hold themselves body posture body language the cadence of how they speak like you can get most of a character across and it's a lot easier when you're playing in person uh than when you're playing online through something like roll 20 or if you're just you know video chatting or whatever it is but even still just the cadence something as small as that can make a huge difference in not just helping you remember who a character is and how they're going to act, but also helping your players remember, like, oh, yeah, this guy's a dick. Yeah, and don't forget that not all of your NPCs should be memorable. Like, there's there's a very... I, I try and let my players decide which ones are going to be memorable. They're all cast if they have real information. If, if they spend a lot of time at the inn, I've got a list, like, okay, this inn is run by Vin Diesel in Pitch Black. <laughs> Why is it run by a blind Vin Diesel? I, I don't know, man. Like, let's go on a side quest and find out. But you know, it, it's that—that's what's happening today. But you know, that—that's not going to be a popular NPC. It's—it's it's a through road, but it helps me find that NPC's voice if I have to. A lot of the time, it'll be like, okay, it's five gold, or it's a silver for a nail, or whatever it is, and then you know they'll go do their own thing. Yeah, I, I think in this actually. This kind of, happy. I think the this kind of leads well into the next question of just like especially in games where it's a like more of a travel adventure, or even if they're just in a single city for the entire time, how do you decide which NPCs are voiced even like they even talk to them at all versus kind of the cardboard cutouts or the ones that if they're going on a shopping trip, do they even need to talk to a shopkeeper? Or is it just, yeah, go look in the player's hand guide, tell me what, you, what you're trying to buy, and we'll figure it out? Uh, I break my NPCs up into three tiers, essentially. So there's tier one, and that's people with valuable, real true valuable information. They always get cast. Um, I don't always work on the voice ahead of time, but you know, if they're in Aarakocra, I'll, I'll think about the cadence of a beak or... Uh, Matthew Colville's Dragonborns I'm a big fan of, uh, so I'll, I'll think about Dragonborn snapping, because they don't have lips, they're not going to be able to pronounce words the same way we do, especially in common. So the, those are those are my Tier 1 NPCs. Uh, my Tier 2 NPCs are characters that I define as like collectibles. So I've started to implement, I really hope my players have gotten one before they listen to this, but uh, they can get an NPC to help them. So like that cleric I was talking about, down the road, uh, they'll be able to actually like collect the NPC, and I'll give them this little um, index card of who the NPC is, what a, one ability that they have. So uh, the cleric specifically can cast cure light or cure wounds three times a day at two d eight plus four. They also have a couple of skill checks they can roll, but that's all they can really do. And they'll be building their their party up. So if if my cleric um, does a good enough charisma check or has a good enough role-playing session with her, she decides she wants to leave the church in the town that they're in and follow them, I'll just hand her this and be like, okay, when you're in town next or if you need heals, you can just call on this person. They'll be with you. They won't have any, intera any interaction in combat, anything like that. So if there's a fallen mercenary band they attack and the leader wants to join them or they meet a monk in a bar or... I really like that idea of the players being able to 
build up their party like being like because i think one of the for, in my mind one of the things that works best is for players is well not works best works best for me and the players that i've been running is they're mercenaries they're they're part of a mercenary guild there's some rules around how they adventure like you know if you come upon a huge stash, you've got to give some of that back to the guild because we're paying for you to have food and board everywhere you go. Like, taking care of all the small minor details, but the ability to, like, recruit people. I love that idea because it means that the players can can help decide more how they want this story to go. Like, if they start leaning towards, like, oh, yeah, we're going to pick up this, you know monk with a troubled past and this dark cleric and all of these like shady characters it gives the d you as the dm a lot more like okay this is where they want to go cool well that's well the i'll you know turn the story in that direction so they meet more of those kind of characters it's also a great backup character too so if one of my clerics dies and they keep wanting to play a cleric well you already know amelia veldath like do you want to be a cleric of veldath do you want to be uh, Mordecai Virtue, the tiefling monk. Like, do you do you want to be this other character that they haven't met yet? So I don't, I'm not going to drop that name because I need to put that in my pocket for later. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a great idea as well, just to have a backup character. And I'm I'm probably going to blow him a couple of times during the episode. But again, it's it's something that I've taken almost directly from Matthew Colbo. He launched a book on Kickstarter, Strongholds and Followers. Super successful. I highly recommend it. And literally all of his videos. I've, I've ba- I backed Strongholds and Followers. I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, almost a complete rip from that. Like There's little <laughs> bits of variation, but uh, just because the DM's guy has very little on it. And I, I watched him talk in his followers video and just, just a light shine on me. Has the physical copy of that come out yet? It hasn't yet. I'm waiting for that. I didn't. I didn't have the money to back the Kickstarter, but I'm gonna uh, buy you the can book. pre-order the. Uh, mm-hmm. But I didn't back the Kickstarter either. Yeah. But I pre-ordered it, and they give you a PDF download with the pre-order. Oh, minutes. oh, because oh, yeah. I was just thinking because I'm actually. We've had a session zero for a new campaign that I'm starting up, and basically what's happening is there. Starting off, they're going to this island chain that's covered in unnatural forests and vines and all kinds of stuff. They're basically going to get shipwrecked with a couple with a small group of mercenaries and workers and, and sailors and stuff like that. And the idea of being able to, for them to, I need to take a look at strongholds, strongholds and followers, obviously, because I'm going to steal this idea as well. Yeah, please. But also, like them being able to build up this shipwreck as their stronghold like there's got to be some ideas i can grip from that oh for sure there's a there's a i think it's a a rogue stronghold where you can build a pirate ship like it's it's so it's full of great ideas again i'm not gonna i matthew colville go just just google him you'll you'll be happy you did he is super useful and we talk about him all the time a thing i liked that you mentioned too is potentially taking those and making them a pc but i like that what I like about that, just looking at the card here, is you've got enough information to kind of build a general character, but it's not specific enough that like someone feels trapped in, oh, I have to do exactly this. It's like, oh, I need to be able to cast Cure Wounds and have those two skills, and then there's still two more skills to choose, however many spells. That's great, and I'm going to look at Strongholds and Followers because I actually have a follower character that I haven't been I haven't had the time slash energy to actually stat up properly and honestly something simple like that is all I really need out of it yeah so with this I didn't want to lock them into um, base stats which is what my initial idea was I'll just stat at a character and I'll do all that work because I, I love character creation I'm sure we're gonna get that on the NPC episode <laughs> um but instead of locking them into stats like that, it's it's much easier to lock a cleric into religion skill and medicine skill because this is a healing cleric, and in order to get them as a follower, they've got to do some role play. They've got to get to know the character a little bit, um, so they'll know kind of an idea of what the character is about. But I'm not going to make them. It, it's never going to be something that's steadfast or set in stone. Right. So those you said you had three tiers, and I think we covered the first two. Yeah, so the third tier is the cardboard cutouts. It's the innkeepers, the shopkeeps. It's, I'll keep a list of NPC names uh, that I rolled out of Xanthars or just some cool syllables that I strung together, and I'll keep a list of casting ideas along that. Like, oh, I really love Jimmy Simpson and Debs, so this is who this bards play. That is a deep cut for you people, and if you get that, at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I guess... 
when it comes to the cardboard cutouts, I guess one of the things that I'm curious is like, how do you decide if there if there even really needs to be a cardboard cutout, or if it's just like, okay, let's take a quick break while everybody goes shopping, and like we'll just like you and me haggle, and not like your character and the shopkeeper haggle. Uh, anytime there's haggling, I think that should be done in person because you may not be as good of a haggler as your character. Like you're you're playing a paladin with a plus five to charisma. You may not have a plus five to charisma, and I don't expect you to embody every trait of your character. So if you want to haggle, then we're we're haggling on paper. We're haggling in not necessarily in the dice, but we're we're gonna we're gonna haggle in character. Um, I may not use a character voice or what have you, um, but a lot of that depends on the energy of my PCs and what they want to do. Like I have a in my last campaign that just concluded, um, I had a chain of soup shops run by a, a goblin family called Super Duper, and they absolutely loved them. Uh, and then Super Duper later on. Um, and they, they just absolutely loved these shops, so they kept going there and back. So I would, if you keep going back and you really want to interact and you're having a good time and the energy's high, like, yeah, I'll throw in a weird NPC, why not? Like, there's a really stone dwarf in the corner, or, you know, your, your server is just some elf who just does not care. Um, you know, steal from the real world. Like, who was your Starbucks server last week? Okay, think about her. Why Why was she like that? What did she kind of look like? Okay, I mean, she's, she's an elf. She's a... I don't know, she's a tiefling, like, she really doesn't care about you, so you may not get your order right away, and, but if it's, like, downtime and your energy's low, it's the end of a session, I just want to get some loot and get out of here, like, alright, you know, the shopkeeper will give you five gold for that, like, I'm not gonna make those decisions for my players, so, or most of the time I won't make them for the players, like, if I got somebody really cool in my pocket that I really want to pull out, like, I'm, yeah, alright, alright. Well, and the, the great thing about characters like that, like, the really cool ones, is that, like, you do have to time them for the right moment to bring them out. So you're not going to throw them out in the last like two minutes of the session while everybody's already packing up their books, necessarily. Uh, yeah, necessarily, <laughs> there, there's always there's always a cool cliffhanger that can be made just by like throwing on a really really weird voice and having somebody kick open the door of the tavern and he looks like Clint Eastwood in the Men with No Name trilogy. But you know he talks like. Uh, Name, Rodney Dangerfield. Like, that's an amazing NPC. Like I don't, I don't care how far you're putting your dice away, you're stopping in your tracks. So I mean, I, I just imagine some guy like like kicking open a door, walking up to a bar, and just be like, "Hey, you gonna serve me or what here?" I get no respect. <laughs> no respect. That's that's amazing. So I'm always prepared to make the cardboard cutouts into tier one or tier two NPCs. I may not have it all right in front of me, but I'm comfortable just making stuff up. I'm, I'm very close with my group of players. It's not like there's anybody outside. Uh, I just did my Tim Roth impression on Can, so that, that's a new high for me. So. <laughs> um, so I think related to this, but earlier, or at the very beginning, we were talking about dynamic worlds. So how do you keep track of what might be happening to the NPCs based on things the PCs have done? Like, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, they'll treat them with more respect if they kill a dragon. But, like, you know, what if they incur the wrath of a local warlord or something like that? Well, something like that, they, you know, you'd start boarding up your windows. Like, a lot of that I find is very geographically relative. So if we're talking about an NPC three towns over, like, it may not affect them yet. If they're just going to drop a teleportation circle or hop on a griffin for some reason and fly back to the podunk town in the middle of nowhere, they probably haven't heard about it. But if it's, if it's happening right next to them, you know, if, if all of a sudden they just murder somebody in the town, the sheriff's going to uh, afford them a little bit more disdain. So those tier one and those tier two NPCs, I'll make little notes. Um, I have, I'm an obsessive note keeper. You guys can see my notebook in front of me. Um, I live and breathe one note on my, my Mac, so I've always got two screens going when I'm DMing, and one is just for YouTube and music, and then all my campaign notes are in one note. So each NPC has their own... Um, I don't want to call it a page, but a tab in, in OneNote. So if you know the players do something like, okay, this lawful good character probably isn't into that, or you know this this evil chaotic evil character is super into that, and like they're gonna hunt you down, and maybe this character who was nobody before is now gonna be you know a, a, a tiefling knight follower because you just murdered uh, somebody in cold blood in the middle of the street in the middle of daylight. Like that is awesome or maybe you know you kill somebody just outside of town and you leave no tracks or it's raining and you, you just murder a bandit a group of bandits like there is no context to that at all so it's just a mystery in town like they don't know that you murdered a group of bandits in the dead of night outside of town they know a group of bandits is murdered 
outside of town, and somebody's going to have to try and figure that out. So that's going to create a whole new interaction with the PCs. So it's just about thinking a little bit more about what they've done and how some characters would react to it. So if it's a tier one or a tier two, I put a little bit more thought into it, especially if they're going to interact with it right away. And if not, I just fall back onto the character. So if it's, again, the sheriff played by Jude Law, like how is Jude Law going to react to you going out and killing somebody in broad daylight in Captain Marvel? I mean, Captain Marvel's a bad example, but you know, he'd probably be pretty okay with it in the, in the latter half of the movie, but in the first half of the movie, he'd be super against it because he's a Kree diehard. So that's where, where he's cast from is the first. Am I spoiling Captain Marvel for anybody? Well, I think by the time this comes out, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so he's, he's a dire Kree. So at the beginning of the movie, he's going to be really upset about it. So that's where he's cast from is the beginning of that movie. So he's going to be upset about you killing his villagers. And I just fall back on that casting and, and create a couple of layers of safety nets that way. But I don't know if anybody can replicate that method. That's just nonsense that happens in my brain piece. <laughs> I think the idea of... Like, only tracking, like, when the players do something, that it's probably only a handful of NPCs that are actually going to react. Like, unless it's something huge, like you said at the, at the start, like, killing a dragon or, you know, overthrowing a tyrant or something like that. Something that everybody is going to know about. Then, like, yeah, if you kill a dragon, then the shopkeep will probably give you a little bit of discount because you save the town or yeah. whatever but, but when whole cities that could be like the, the rumor mill spin it, may spin it differently yeah. in, in larger cities based on how you need that narrative to go so it's, it's another plot device that you can really plug and play based on how you need it to but when it comes to like the average session like yeah you go out and you you got rid of a bunch of bandits that were you know menacing a trade route like maybe the shopkeep who relied on that trade route might think favor favorably of you but like the local butcher probably doesn't care like there there's going to be npcs that like they might be a little bit happier they might treat you a little bit better but it won't come to like huge discounts or anything it'll just be like a cool thanks for doing that back to business yeah high fives and sweet air kicks like sometimes that's all you need from that from the innkeeper but you know if they take the bandits off that route how does the food get into that city? Is it coming down that route? Is she saving a little bit of money on the back end? It's like, probably. I mean, again, I'm in the food industry, so it, I, I, I know all how these things work. And I, I, it's a homebrew world, so I have a pretty good idea of how that region in the world works and geography. And if you're bringing fish into a landlocked city, you're bringing it in on the road. If you get stopped on the road, that's dangerous. Like, that is really bad for that fish. So if you're a fish merchant in a landlocked town, bandits are going to think bad. I'm just thinking about the terry pratchett novel raising steam and how at the start of the novel uh they're talking about like the main city that the most of the the discworld books are set on is this fairly big like think london but still kind of medieval-ish and the river is practically you can walk on it because it's just you know everybody throws all their garbage in there and in Raising Steam, there's this bit about how this, like, these two merchants are talking about how, like, one of them is trying to bring fish in, and, like, he spent a bunch of money to build a second ice house on the route so that the fish can arrive and not be destroyed, like, be rotten. And the other merchant is talking about trying to get, like, watercress or some, like, really fragile lettuce-like thing in from the plains that are two days away. And, yeah, like... There are things that, like, if you players get rid of some bandits and now the route, the route is safer and faster, then, yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of people that are happy about that. Yeah, the food's going to be fresher. I mean, if, just based on, like, like Robin Hood mythology, like, if, if you go through Sherwood Forest, you're paying Robin Hood to use those roads. Like, that's the real Robin Hood mythology, not, not the Disney one. You're, you're paying Robin Hood to use those roads. So, if you don't have to pay Robin Hood anymore, everybody's saving a little bit more cash and you know, you will get a little bit of a discount on something. Instead of a silver a nail being a silver piece, maybe it's eight copper pieces. I mean, if I really, really hate you, it's eight copper pieces. If I really like you, it's five. Because, I mean, who wants to captivate? <laughs> something I think is, and this is more an idea that just came to me. We were talking about killing a dragon, and earlier we were talking about bards spreading the story and, like, people hearing about it. And I'm kind of wondering, in, like, a more open-world campaign, like, who's coming now after you because you have dragon parts which 
I imagine are valuable for all sorts of dark rituals and whatnot. Or even just people coming to you being like, hey, I'll give you a lot of money if you give me all of that stuff. Like, yeah. just oh, trying yeah. to straight up buy it from you. Oh, I'm yeah. sure there's a dragon bone black market. I don't know where it is or why it's there, but I don't I don't need to know. Like, we'll uh-huh. talk about that in game. Like, that's uh-huh. awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down, and I'm going to need the name of that Terry Pratchett book again. Oh, so uh, it's so good. <laughs> I love that book a lot. Um, I'm also thinking of, like, occasionally, you know, you run into the a character who is just a miserable jerk who's maybe a shopkeep and you've slain a dragon and you show up and he's like oh now i'm charging you more because you you have a dragon sword you can afford it <laughs> i mean if you're a smart businessman that's probably not a good idea because they just slew a dragon if you're if you're facing my party you do not want to charge them more i can tell you from experience. <laughs> that doesn't mean you won't try oh yeah so i guess you, you mentioned one note a little bit and this is something that i've had trouble with is trying to keep track of because i've tried to have like my last campaign they they traveled all over this continent and there were some regions that were kind of cut off from the main region so it was a little bit easier to say like okay cool you've passed over the mountains like this is kind of a new region nobody really knows who you are and as they traveled you know back and forth from this region you know something that they did you know way off to the east you were already popular back in this main region and you guys traveled pretty fast to get back here with this important news. So yeah, you did a bunch of cool stuff over there, but nobody here knows. But when it comes to tracking that stuff, coming back to the one note, like how do you have any tips on how to do that? Because that's, I think the area where I have the most problems is trying to just keep track of the world and what the players are doing to it. Uh, so I, I had my OneNote really aggressively organized as well. So there are a bunch of, of main head, head tabs, and locations is one of them. That locations one is broken down into a sub-tab um, for each region right now because we're not at the continental level because it's a, it's a brand new home world, so I can make a lot of the stuff up as I go. And then each region, so it's, it's a barony in this continent. Um, each barony is broken up into cities. Um, and then if there's a longer route between cities, that'll have its own page. And then right at the top, it'll be uh, demographic and uh, political nature. So if it's a monarchy, and then right underneath that, I'll write some clip notes. Like, okay, the, the baron of this region, don't listen to this part, players. The baron of this region doesn't like you guys because you you thwarted this thing that had ha- already happened. I'm assuming you thwarted this, players. <laughs> and because he was a part of it. Uh, so like that that'll be right at the top of the page and if the baron doesn't like you why would anybody else in town like you because if you're in that town maybe he's going to tax the townspeople more maybe he's going to put more pressure on the watch to find something you did wrong like it's a lot of it's top down but bottom up you may be a local hero in one region for stopping this um event but there are plenty of other regions who would have loved to see that city crumble for a reason or two like Right now, they're in the lumber hub for this continent, and if that lumber hub goes down, another one comes up. That's good for that science economics. That's that's a great thing. So maybe the people in that town aren't so warm to you, but again, they're only level five. So would they really know? It's it, it's a tough balance, I think, of level and really a lot of it's just making it up, um, and then just keeping those cliff notes at the top. There's always cliff notes, and then I have a session notes tab and in that session notes is where my calendar is and then each day i write a little blurb like nothing happened it rained nothing happened it was sunny uh they killed the test track it was <laughs> raining i just want to start recording all of my sessions so i can listen back to them and make notes that way because i'm my my problem is that i'm bad at making notes in the moment so i'm just like i'll be like three or four days out of a session and go i guess i should uh, write down what happened i try and wait for a natural break so when my players are talking and they're conversing they're all excited to be the copper tigers and that's great and like you guys go uh, what do you want to do next oh uh, uh pascal how's your character feeling right now killed a tesseract raining <laughs> like i don't have to listen to how his character's feeling he's going to show me that in role play i love you pascal i am listening <laughs> but, <laughs> but you can listen and write <laughs> yeah i can mostly listen and i can definitely write <laughs> Yeah, I think it was the one thing when I was working at a job where I didn't have to do very much during the day, where like I'd have a session on Sunday and then I could spend pretty much the entire Monday just writing up what happened in a campaign journal. Um, and that was great because it meant that like 
you know, five or six weeks or two, three months later, I could go back and be like, oh, right, so it was this character who killed this person, and now their brother is after them. Like, it was a lot easier, but now that I'm at a job where I actually do things, um, yeah, I don't have as much time, and I think it's just, like you said, just a matter of, like, finding those moments where you can just either if you've got a laptop to quickly type something down or just like scribble some notes and yeah just use the back page in your notebook for what's happening right now is, is how i used to do it when i was uh doing a pen and paper but i'm i'm an all digital dm now and i i love it yeah another thing that's important to remember too is that like taking extensive notes doesn't work for every dm and it's it's fine if it doesn't work for you but also try it yeah, and, and those aren't some uh, um, shortened examples of my notes. Those are my notes. Yeah. Kill the test rack. Raining. Like, uh, the bottom one is always what happened in the weather. And I may not describe the weather to my players because it was sunny. Like, they're going to just assume it's sunny. But, you know, it's real windy today. Uh, there's a murder in the street. The body was found. Real windy. Like, it's just, it's literally a bullet note. As little words as I possibly can. Um, you know, pissed off the innkeeper. Like, I don't have to remember why they pissed off the innkeeper. I just have to remember why that innkeeper's pissed off because they'll remember. Like when, when that disposition changes, my players will remember, and they will either try and rationalize and charm their way out of it, or they'll start a fight, and I don't really have to do anything for either of those situations. I just had a realization about one of my games. I need to buy just a day planner, because they use the real-world calendar. I can literally yeah. just write in it. Yeah, I hate the real-world calendar, because it's so busted, so I made my own. Yeah, I mean, my, my game takes place in our world. My game is confusing. I'll explain it after the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Um, yeah, I... I agree. I, I uh, have you found there's what was it, the the Don John? There's a site where he has a bunch of stuff, and I used his calendar generator. Yeah. And it's great. I spent a bunch of time on it. There's four moons, and I spent literally a week finding the day where all four moons would be in eclipse. But or um, was it when they're not uh, the opposite of full moon? New, new moon. moon. New moon. Yeah, when they were all new moons, so I could plan something, and then. I never got around to it, but oh, <laughs> sad. But uh, you know, for the future now. Yeah, but uh, we've been talking a lot about like having this dynamic world, like a place where you know things happen that are kind of outside the player's control, like the ways NPCs uh, react, the way that a town might react to them helping another town, like all of these kind of things. How do you prevent this? dynamic world from kind of preventing the players from feel like they're actually able to achieve something like make, making it so that when they do something it feels like they've they've actually done something and not just like okay cool we've done something but then there's going to be all of these ripple effects that we have no way of controlling well again moderation is is the key to that like it's not not every action is going to be a ripple effect like if if you kill a group of bandits on a town i'm giving you extreme examples earlier um like, probably nothing is going to happen. Somebody's going to give you a high five and some sweet air kicks. Like, that's really all that's going to happen there. So, not everything can be a world-changing and a world-shaking event. But, I mean, sometimes the little things do mean something to somebody. And maybe it's maybe it's a little kid coming up to you. And like, oh, my dad's been beaten up by those bandits every three weeks. And it's like, well, cool, little kid. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I just really so like the... the, the... <laughs> high fives and air kicks I'm just all of a sudden the innkeep is now Garth yeah, why not perfect there you go your innkeep is now Dana Carvey that's that's a brilliant casting like why wouldn't you want to like yeah I would go to that inn every night of the week um, drives a sweet like his wagon is blue and has like flames painted on it like yes absolutely um, but yeah but when the characters do stuff like kind of the reason why people play D&D is they like they want to be part of this great adventure and see what this I guess it depends on the DM and the kind of story you're playing but if you're playing a story where like a high epic adventure you want to have an impact on the world but you also kind of want to control that impact I guess sometimes yeah. how do you use this dynamic world to empower the characters the players in what they're doing i rely on level a lot for that um so i don't level by xp i level by uh, milestone and Same. that's really whenever i feel like it there's a little peek behind the curtain guys um so that any like i said anything like five to six you're locally famous seven to ten you're kind of internationally famous so if it's something and you tell somebody something they're probably going to just believe you because you're the expert 
like, yes, I know what happened because I was there. I did this thing. Like, whether that's true or not, like, a, a commoner is not going to fucking challenge you on your charisma. Like, they're just going to be like, cool, thanks, dude. Like, or boo. <laughs> but, you know, behind your back. Uh, yeah, you just recently killed a dragon. They're just going to be all sunshine and smiles. Yeah, there's going to be a parade. Somebody's going to lose it. They're going to flip the pool. It's going to be amazing. Um, and, and did you see the pool? They flipped the bitch. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. That Thank show you. was amazing. Oh my god! I don't. So I don't understand the reference. <laughs> Clone oh, High. It was um. Oh. Miller and Lord's first shows. Oh no! I've watched Clone yeah. High. I just. It's been a long time. Yeah, we'll re- revisit. It holds up. Um, so good. Will Forte's great in it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of that I think depends on level. Like, if if you really want to have an impact on the world, earn your way to level twelve, and then you know have a barony. <laughs> Here, here's a kingdom I don't I don't care if that, is that what you want is that what you guys want to do and trying to follow my players leads more than anything like there will be some stuff that happens and I tell them in session zero like the, these are the things things will happen your actions have consequences and I really want them to believe that so sometimes it's negative and sometimes it's positive and, you know it could be as positive as uh, oh shit you did that like here's a free stay I'm like All right. I mean like, you know it's a gold piece they weren't going to count anyway I know you don't count it's actually one of the things that i really really enjoyed about playing at a table was i went a little nuts and bought a bunch of actual fantasy coins i want that so bad and it was fantastic like and there was like little like trade bars that were worth like a hundred or a thousand and like watching them like try to argue amongst each other like i really need this sword can you please just give me 10 gold was fantastic that is amazing i want that so bad but i can i don't have him I don't have the ambition. <laughs> I got enough going on behind the screen. Um, but I, it just kind of occurred to me, though, that like what you're talking about with consequences is that like if this is a party of, you know, they're adventurers who just want to travel the land and do great deeds and like, you just did something really amazing. You've now been saddled with a barony. Like, <laughs> you don't get to travel anymore. You have to deal with all of these people's problems. I mean, that's what you have followers for. Like, oh, here's Square. Take care of my barony. See you around. Like, there's a magic sword up there that I want to get. Like, yeah. And, my, again, before we even did our session zero, one of the things I did is I presented my um, my group with a list of three or four campaigns. Like, this is a fetch quest. This is um, uh, uh, solving the problem. This is a murder mystery. This is just the Curse of Strahd, because I think it'd be fun to run it. And then I had them all vote on it, like, rank them one to four, and then whatever got the most votes the campaign we ran. So before we even sat down, they had chosen the campaign, and I'd given them a little player buy-in. So you're not coming into Session Zero cold. It's, okay, this is a homebrew world. These are the things that have happened. These are the things that your characters need to believe and do in order to operate in this world. And here are, like, and they've, they've all played with me before. They were all in the last campaign. They know I love overarching consequences. And again, I also love overarching, like, platitudes. So when we would do one-offs or one-shots, all my one-shots take place in the same world at a different time. So if we had this epic one-shot where this halfling was riding a dragon and he rolled three crits and acrobatic saves, he crit this dragon three times in the back of the neck, and it was done. Like, you you single-handedly killed this dragon when the rest of your party got tpk So that bow is now a magic weapon in that world. Those hills are named after that dragonborn sorcerer because he's the only other one who survived. And Like, it was all based in the Forgotten Realms, so I just started scratching out names on the map, and I'm like, okay, this is now the Hills of Silverilis. This is the, the, the bow of uh, Tea Leaf. Like... And then I present them with those later on. So like, oh shit, things really do happen. And when one of your players can't make it, you go on the, the Wizards of the Coast thing and you're like, okay, do you want to be a Dragonborn Sorcerer, a Halfling Rogue, or whatever, whatever. And I print off that level and I'm like, okay, we're going to do a one-shot because I love running D&D, so I'm just going to make this shit up like 10 minutes before we start. Here's the end, here's the beginning. You guys just follow my lead and we'll all have a good time. And having those have an impact in the world that they're playing and I think it's a really neat way to reinforce like when we play in this world again these characters that you love that you live and breathe that you really become one with they will have their their statue in the town square though their mantle will be famous and passed on and that's a great hook for the next campaign like the sword of uh the the rapier of badger my my buddy's um frontline fighter bard my party plays weird classes, and I love them. Like, it really gets me going. He had a, he had a plus one ice rapier that did 1d4 ice damage on top. 
and like his rapier can be stolen, and that's the opening to your next campaign. And it's like okay, this like it's a hundred years later. There's a sweet sword, but now we have guns. Yeah, all right, like let's go find this magic sword. James, it's been a delight talking to you. Um, so we've got our final question for you, uh, which is: if you could jump back in the time machine, go back to just before you ran your first session, what's a piece of advice you'd give yourself, um, sp- you know, specifically around NPCs or creating a dynamic world? Uh, don't be afraid to make a fool of yourself. Like I'm, I'm an introvert to begin with. Uh, so sitting around with these people that I really care about, it was really hard for me to jump into it. But as soon as I jumped into that first weird character voice, it just everything just kind of came naturally. Don't plan so much. Don't throw them on the rails. Just sit back, have a bigger glass of whiskey, take a breath, and just have fun. Yeah, I agree. It is so much easier to once you've started doing it. It's it's a, a lot easier than you thought it was. Yeah. It's still a lot of work, but it's not it's not this impossible task that I think a lot of people like to hold DMing up as. And it's yeah. fun work. Like, if you're into it, you're really into it. All of us DMs are fucking nerds for this shit. It's amazing. <laughs> I yeah. love you guys. I just, I spent uh, two days last week building the map for the this next campaign. Even though I know they're not going to explore most of it i'm super excited for whatever they do explore yeah if that's what gets you off like that's perfect like my calendar took me a week and then because of my calendar i created this sub race of elves and like things just need to make sense but man that's what gets me going so like yeah i spent three days building a calendar eat it like at me (laughs) (laughs) um so where can people find you online if you want people to actually at you (laughs) oh yeah okay uh you can find me at at Cobra Viper J on Twitter. That's really about it. It's uh, get at me about deep cuts in this podcast because there's a few in there that I don't think you guys picked up. That's great. If you got any sweet fantasy book recommendations or if you want to watch me fail at painting miniatures through for the next 15 or 20 years. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Yeah. High fives and air kicks. Sweet. High fives and air kicks. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at, at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and t- tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. I was told that once, Frost Cricket was a humble prefect of the Celestial City. But when Wanderlust whispered her name, she left to travel the Earth on foot. Her journeys inspired many stories, and those stories inspired other stories. Some idiot wrote them all down, and ever since, fools have been telling and retelling the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. I'm Piers Ray. Sitting with me is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Eric Ivanovich. We're the hosts of Podcast vs. Podcast right here on the Cave Goblin Network. This is the only podcast pitching show on the internet. Tune in, find out if we can ever find the perfect podcast, or more importantly, can we agree on it? This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.